Father in heaven, who among us is sufficient for the truths of your word? Who among us should even take the precious name of Jesus to our lips because we're sinners? But Lord, you came to save sinners and you let us have Jesus. I pray that he may be uplifted in all his power and his glory. In Christ's name, amen. The method to reach the multitudes is medical missionary evangelism. It's foolish to ignore this method in our outreach to others because medical missionary work is the right arm that gives the visible three legs which sustain and promote the gospel. Publicity, protection, and prosperity. Without it, gospel outreach is crippled public and personal evangelism is weakened. First, it's foolish to ignore medical missionary work in our outreach to others because medical missionary work brings the gospel publicity. It's not only the arm, the right arm, but it's the face of the gospel. Lip-to-lip advertising is by far the most effective advertising. It is the advertising that Madison Avenue seeks to imitate and tries to create. Money can buy media advertising, but the most effective advertising has always been free. At the Skin Cancer and Cosmetic Dermatology Clinic where I work, Dr. John Chung installs in our minds that every patient is our next advertisement. A year ago, Microsoft brought out the Zoom. And they sponsored beer events and they paid people to be evangelists, to, to pretend to be not paid, but to generate buzz and excitement. They had buzz groups and all sorts of things. They spent tens of millions of dollars on this. It was trying to get lip to lip. And then the iPhone came out. The I, uh, Apple spent little, but by June when it was released, it had 98% penetration of the market. And now it's studied. How did Apple do this? But you see, true medical missionary work creates this immense publicity. That's why it's called the entering wedge. Those who are healed spread the news more effectively than television advertising. Those who are healed tell their friends. Those friends become interested and tell their friends who also become interested. And it is this type of explosive spread that will finish the work in months. We found this with our CHIP program in Wichita. We received excellent television and radio publicity, and it cost us nothing. Our church became known because of medical missionary work. And this is how medical missionary work brought crowds to Jesus. Luke tells us that after healing a leper, so much the more there went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. This word-of-mouth publicity was actually too effective. The crowds became too big, and Jesus had to become less accessible as a result. When we want crowds that convention centers can't hold, we'll start doing medical missionary work. When we want the windows of heaven to be opened, 
will start doing medical missionary work. When we want the windows of heaven opened where there's no room to receive the blessings, we'll do medical missionary health evangelism. It works at all times and in all places and in all situations. It was medical missionary work that opened Syria to the gospel at the highest levels in the time of Elisha. In the middle of a war between Syria and Israel, when emotions ran at their highest pitch, when hatred was at its peak, Elisha's medical missionary work brought sudden peace, stopped the war. It was his entering wedge. Medical missionary work brought crowds to the apostles. It was their entering wedge. Luke tells us that believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folk and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. This was Paul's method. By the space of two years, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Yes, it's foolish to ignore medical missionary work in our outreach to others. Because medical missionary work does bring publicity like no other work. But second, it's foolish to ignore medical missionary work in our outreach to others because medical missionary work provides protection like no other work. The people protect the medical missionary from their enemies. Because of Jesus' medical ministry, the Jewish leaders were afraid to lay a hand on him because of the crowds of people that came out that had been helped by Jesus' medical missionary evangelism. The enemies of Christ had to delay murdering Jesus for several years as a result of Jesus' ministry. At Christ's trial, all mention of Christ's medical missionary work was avoided and excluded because even discussion of it would have prevented his condemnation. Had Jesus performed a medical missionary healing in King Herod's palace, he would have been released. This protective effect of medical missionary work is true in all times and at all places. It worked for the apostles. Acts 5.26 Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. During the St. Bartholomew Massacre, Tens of thousands of Protestant citizens were murdered at the command of King Charles IX in an attempt to exterminate Protestantism in France. But while the king carried an aquabus and himself shot Protestant subjects who sought his protection by his coming to his palace gates, he hid his Protestant physician in a closet to preserve his life. When the Adventist message was taken to Australia, ancient Sunday laws were revived. Some of our members were placed in stocks. Some were threatened with fines. But at Avondale, the nurse of Ellen White had been sent out to help sick people in the community. And where this medical missionary had been done, the spies that were sent to see what was going on at Avondale 
sort of looked around like this. What was going on on Sunday? And they didn't seem to see anything that violated a uh, law. And they went back without any arrest or any problems. It's foolish to ignore medical missionary work in our outreach to others because medical missionary work brings publicity and protection like no other work. Third, it is foolish to ignore medical missionary work in our outreach for others because medical missionary work provides financial and volunteer support necessary for the work of the gospel. It was medical missionary work that provided for the maintenance of Christ and his disciples. Mark tells us that Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left her. And what did she do when she was well? She ministered unto them. That's medical missionary work. That's what happens. Luke tells us that certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. You see, true medical missionary work inspires sacrificial service and giving at all times and in all places. When Paul was a prisoner being transported to Rome and was shipwrecked on the island of Miletus, the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. Elisha's medical missionary work brought huge donations. So Hosea went to meet him and took a present with him, even of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camels burden, and came and stood before him and said, Thy son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to thee, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? I would remind you that Abraham only sent 10 camels worth of substance for Rebekah. But that wasn't medical missionary work. It is medical missionary work alone that will cause the wealth of the Gentiles to flow into the church to support the final gospel outreach. Yes, it's foolish to ignore medical missionary work in our outreach to others when it is medical missionary work that gives publicity, protection, and prosperity to the work of the gospel. But it is equally foolish to ignore the gospel in our medical missionary outreach to others Medical missionary work is merely a means, not an end. It is a path, not a destination. Medical missionary work brings to view at best only a few brief years of comfort and health, while the gospel brings to view an eternity of comfort and health. If medical missionary work providing a few years of health is good, the gospel which provides an eternity of health must be infinitely better. If providing a few years of health is important, the gospel with its eternity of health and happiness must be infinitely more important. It is foolish to share the good while we fail to share the infinitely better. Mere health education is cruel since it offers no hope beyond a prolongation of this poor earthly existence. While medical missionary work helps others get more from this life, the gospel helps others get more than this life. In the New Testament, the work of the medical missionary and the gospel missionary were one and the same. They were never, ever separated. Where there was one, there was always the other. 
The gospel is not just about the future life, it is about life. Eternal life doesn't begin then, it begins now. The, more, the only way you can get more of eternity is to begin sooner. The gospel makes the present life the first part of eternal life. Through medical missionary work, God makes our present life as pleasant as he possibly can make it for us. The thorns and thistles that he has reluctantly allowed are for our sake. Without them, we would not feel our need. Without them, we would be happy with this life alone. God wants us to desire something better than this world can provide. But though we can no longer benefit from paradise, though we must be exiled from Eden, God wants to give our lives all the comfort safely possible. Medical ministry provides the best possible life now with the promise of perfect paradise when this is safe for God to give it to us. Through the gospel, it becomes safe for God to restore Eden to us. If God is interested in our mortal life, how much more must he be interested in our immortal life? Said John, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Through the gospel, the nail-scarred hand that will wipe away all tears in heaven begins wiping tears from our eyes through the medical missionary work. In this life, medical ministry brings joy to the sorrowing, relief to the afflicted, hope to the desponding, strength to the weak. The medical missionary is giving a message from God about God. It is a message about a God who cares about our cares now. It is about a God who wants to give us health now and give us perfect health in eternity for eternity. Medical ministry tells about a God who is removing the diseases that results from transgression, and the gospel tells us of a God that is removing the guilt that results from sin. Medical ministry brings faith in a God who doesn't wait for the future to give us a better life, but begins that better life now. That you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Medical missionary work teaches us to trust in his future promises by showing us his present promises are true. Jesus has promised the believer shall receive an hundredfold now in this time and in the world to come eternal life. That is the promise of gospel medical missionary health evangelism. Medical missionary workers are not only to go forth healing, but also preaching. When the sick are made well, they are to see that wellness on earth is a little foretaste of heaven. It's to help us understand what heaven is like. Heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. When we're healthy, the kingdom of God has come nigh. What a kingdom, medical missionary work reveals, where the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. Medical missionary work is never to be separated from the gospel message, neither is gospel work to be separated from medical missionary work. We are to go forth preaching, but also healing. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. At the very opening of his ministry, Matthew tells us Jesus went about all Galilee, 
teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sicknesses and all disease, manner of diseases among the people. But Jesus didn't stop doing this after he had obtained publicity, protection, and prosperity. Medical missionary work wasn't his gimmick. It was his modus operandi. It was his method. When Jesus in eternity thought through what is the most effective work that I can do to cram into three and a half years of service, what could I be that would maximally impact the world? He chose medical missionary work. If you look five chapters, just sort of keep this in your mind. Now we're going to go five chapters later and see what Matthew tells us again. What was Jesus doing? Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Same thing. From start to finish, this is what Jesus did. He was a medical missionary. This was his work. This is what he trained and empowered his disciples to do. He thought through before he came, what is it that I can leave as a legacy for others to do to carry the message to the entire world? But his disciples couldn't do this until they were trained and they couldn't do it until they were empowered. He ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal the sicknesses and to cast out devils. Now, notice the process. They were first what? Ordained. That is, set apart. And this was done not at the end of their training, but at the start. When do we ordain ministers? <laughs> at the end. When did Jesus ordain the disciples? At the beginning, they were set apart from the very start of their training. And what were they ordained to be? With Him. That was their ordination. They were set apart to be with Him. Why were they to be with Him? They were to be with Him that they might be sent forth to preach, but not just to preach. There's an important word that follows preach. What is it? And to have power to heal. They were set apart. They were ordained to be doubly trained. They were to learn the art of preaching, persuading, presenting, publicly and privately proclaiming the truths of the gospel. But they were also to learn the art of a care treatment and prevention of disease. Any other training is one-sided, lopsided. They weren't trained to do one or the other. They didn't choose between, well, let me see, I'll take the pastor track or I'll take the evangelistic track or I'll take the medical track, I think. Christ's method was to train and equip them for both. They must have both to fulfill the highest work for their master. Now, how can we receive medical missionary training as the disciples did? How can we include medical missionary work in our out gospel outreach to others? How can we include the gospel in our medical missionary work? How can we use the right arm to find an entry into the hearts of others that will provide life for their souls and multiply converts for heaven? 
the disciples' diploma, their heavenly certificate in their work was power from heaven to do medical missionary work, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. That was their certificate. Where can we get such a training today? Where can we get the same diploma, the heavenly certificate, the heavenly graduation, the power the disciples received? Now, I have to tell you that in our church today, we have a divorced gospel. We train doctors and dentists and other health professionals to treat the body, but give only lip service to reaching the soul. But is this God's plan and method? Is this all he expects from me as a physician? We train ministers to preach the gospel, but give only lip service to medical missionary health evangelism. Is this all God expects from pastors and evangelists? If this is not a divorce, it is certainly a separation. They live apart. At best, it's a dysfunctional marriage. And we're not united. It's hard to increase the family when you live apart. The power the doctor has is not received from heaven, but from a medical institution today. A medical training is only as good as it trains in Christ's method and imparts his power. If we have not learned how to give the gospel in medical training, we will actually do a disservice continuing the illusion that the gospel and medical missionary work are somehow separate, something that somehow must be bridged. But properly conducted, medical missionary outreach doesn't need a bridge. It is the bridge that connects from secular to Christ. Our expectation too often is that the health professionals will make money and serve the church by their generous donations. But God has a better plan, a higher plan, a more effective plan. This plan requires a very special training. We'll look at three passages in Luke where Christ's method for training medical missionaries is revealed in detail. Luke 8.1, Luke 9.1, and Luke 10.1. I would like us to notice how Jesus trained medical missionaries. His method is the only way we can become medical missionaries. Luke 8.1. He went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. I want you to notice that last phrase. The twelve were with him. Step one, Jesus taught by example the apprenticeship method. We can never be a medical missionary until we spend time observing Jesus, the great medical missionary. I can't be like Jesus until I know what Jesus is like. Make no mistake about this. Jeremiah cried out, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. It is not intuitive to be like Jesus. We have no instinct that we can rely on to make us like him. He declares, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. In Acts of the Apostles, page 565, it gives this very sobering assessment. It says, the reason many in this age of the world make no greater advancement in the divine life is because they interpret the will of God to be just what they will to do. In other words, they think their will is God's will. While following their own desires, they flatter themselves that they are conforming to God's will. 
like the child who wants the squirt gun and thinks this must be what his mother wants because he wants it. We think our wants and desires are God's wants and desires. Often what we think Jesus would do, it's the opposite of what he would do. When we're sure he wouldn't do something, he would do it. The question, what would Jesus do, is an important question, but it's not very useful unless we really know Jesus well enough to know what he would do. Think of the mistakes sincere people have made through the centuries thinking they were pleasing Jesus, being like him. Martin Luther almost died and did suffer permanently from his self-imposed impoverished diet, his fastings, his flagellations, his self-tortures. For hundreds of years, even today, priests and nuns are celibate, missing the comfort and joy of family because they want to be like Jesus. And they believe this will make them like him. In the St. Bartholomew Massacre, the French Catholics thought they were pleasing Jesus by brutally killing the Protestants. The Pope was filled with joy and thought Jesus was helping him to destroy the enemies of the church. We pity these people in their darkness and ignorance, but don't think that misunderstanding Jesus is limited to the Dark Ages or some extreme cult. Today, sincere, lovely people worship idols, pray to Mary, break the Sabbath, and teach others to break the Sabbath, thinking they're pleasing Jesus. Today, many sincere, loving, and well-meaning Christian teachers and ministers are giving horrible advice, and it's not limited to ministers and teachers. You don't have to go very far to hear people being advised to dishonor their parents, to divorce their spouses, to abort their children, to dress improperly, to listen to heathen music with Christian lyrics, to worship like pagans, all in the name of Jesus. Let me read the problem again. They interpret the will of God to be just what they will to do. While following their own desires, they flatter themselves that they are conforming to God's will. We may think something is important to Jesus that he doesn't care a lick about. We may think there's something he doesn't care about that's important to him. And so Jesus began the training of his disciples by giving them time with him. They needed acquaintance with God or they could never give a correct view of him. Many Christians want Christ to follow them to go where they go. They want Jesus to be their disciple instead of them being his disciple. But in true medical missionary training, we become disciples who follow Jesus where he goes. This is the fundamental necessity for all who would do medical missionary work. Yet it is precisely what is missing from so many training programs. You can become a physician with your MD as I, as I did and you can become and still not know him not spend time with him. In fact, the training can so absorb your time, it takes you away from him. It can even take away our Sabbath time of reflection, meditation, and rest. But don't think you can be a true medical missionary if you're not spending time with God. If we don't know him, we'll misrepresent him. Our labor will be done with little faith and be productive of little fruit. There's not some form of word, some Technique, some approach that can be given in training that will make us soul-winning agencies. Those who do not know Christ cannot win others to Him no matter what they say or do. Those who do not know Him will harm evangelism. Said Jesus, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, 
hypocrite. You compass sea and land to make one proselyte. They were evangelistic. When he is made, you make him twofold more the child of what? Hell and yourselves. We must begin where the disciples began. He went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. According to the Bible commentary, Levi Matthew, the last of the twelve disciples, was called in the summer of A.D. 30. Luke 8, 1 occurred in the autumn of A.D. 30, six months before his crucifixion. So this is the last six months of Jesus' life. Increasing crowds were coming to Jesus. He had been a medical missionary for nearly three years. He was no longer unknown. It was no longer possible for his work to be carried on by himself alone. The harvest of his sowing was great. The disciples' labor was needed. All 12 disciples were needed for this second Galilean medical missionary tour. He went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. Like the 12 sons of Jacob, they were a family. The disciples were of different age and experience. It was being with Jesus that united them. Though they were also with each other, this was incidental because they were with him. They went where he went. Their lives were filled with Jesus. They ate when he ate and what he ate. They walked where he walked. He set the pace. He determined the destination. His schedule was their schedule. His priorities set their activities. While he was attentive to their needs, they became attentive to his needs. They lived his life, and his life changed their life. They were with him when he went to bed. They were with him when he got up. They were with him when he walked, when he talked. Like the 144,000, they followed the Lamb whithersoever he went. They listened to his words. Their ears were filled with Jesus. They heard his prayers. They heard his counsel. They heard his table talk. They heard his sermons. They heard his gentle answers to calm the angry, hostile questioners. They listened to his answers to their own questions. They heard his use of the Bible. They listened to his instruction to the sick, the well, the happy, the sad. They learned from his silence. They listened to him sing. They listened to his respectful conversations with his mother. And his words changed their life. They observed his actions. Their eyes were full of Jesus. Like the child who watches his mother, they watched Jesus. They not only heard the words and tones of Jesus, they saw his facial expressions. They observed his body language. They saw his Bible study habit. They saw his hours of prayer. They saw what he ate and what he didn't eat. They observed how he related to the various kinds of people, the rich, the poor, the educated, the ignorant, the leader, the peasant. They observed him when he was interrupted. His plans were delayed. They saw him when he was fatigued and hungry. They saw him deal with hardship, privation, and obstacles. And by beholding, they were changed. Where we receive our education is very important. Listen to this. Because we become like our educators. Universities have a facade of championing freedom of thought, but it's just a deceitful conceit, a mere pretense, unless they teach the truth. Truth alone gives freedom of thought. Outside of truth, there's no real openness in education. A student doesn't choose the test questions and doesn't determine the answers, at least in the school I went to. All answers aren't considered equal on tests. 
All education is by nature religious and exclusive. Education gives us a philosophy of life, a worldview, with the necessity of rejecting competing philosophies and worldviews. It doesn't simply give you equal exposure to all worldviews and then you select the one that fits you best. That in itself is a worldview they can give you. It gives the student an overwhelming worldview from peer pressure, from professors, from repetition. The student comes to see life as he has been taught. Education is designed to mold our minds and thought. If it doesn't, it's not education. Quality education indoctrinates, it motivates, it changes the graduate. Or it should. Education means spending time with our teachers in their classes. We spend time with the authors of our textbook. We learn the answers we are taught. We learn the theories of those we accept as authorities. It is inevitable that when we graduate, we become like our professors. That is what education is. That is what education does. And this is what educated Christ's disciples. Acts 4.13, Now when they saw the boldness in Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The English Standard Version calls Peter and John uneducated common men. I like the New American Bible's translation of this verse, observing the boldness of Peter and John and perceiving them to be uneducated, ordinary men. They were amazed and they recognized them as the companions of Jesus. Companions of Jesus stand out. Are they recognizable? Yes. Are we companions of Jesus? That is what happens to common people when they are companions to Jesus. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. The intimate familiarity with Jesus is necessary for all who would be medical missionaries. We must have companionship with Jesus. As Jesus ministered to the vast multitudes, Desire of Ages 349, vast multitudes that gathered about him, his disciples were in attendance, eager to do his bidding and to lighten his labor. They assisted in arranging the people, bringing the afflicted ones to the Savior and promoting the comfort of all. That is medical missionary work, promoting the comfort of all and bringing afflicted ones to the Savior. They watched for interested hearers, explained the scriptures to them and in various ways worked for their spiritual benefit. You know, in a crowd, everybody is not equally interested. And they watched for people who were interested in what Jesus had to say. That's the beginning of learning how to do medical missionary work. You watch for people who are interested in what Jesus has to say. They taught what they had learned of Jesus and were every day obtaining a rich experience. In the training of the disciples, the example of the Savior's life was far more effective than any mere doctrinal instruction. When they were separated from him, every look and tone and word came back to them. I'm told that in studies, uh, they... Uh, they have done with people who are listening to lectures and only 10% of what a lecturer said is picked up. And within three months, that 10% is gone and what people believed after the lecture by three months, they may come to think just the opposite. And they may even think that the lecture said just the opposite. Very fascinating. 
And that's why with Jesus, he was not only concerned that they catch his words, but his look, tone as well. Often when in conflict with the enemies of the gospel, they repeated his words, and as they saw their effect upon the people, they rejoiced greatly. The first step in becoming a medical missionary is to spend your days with Jesus. But let's look at the second step. This is Luke 9.1. He called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. In step two, they were to do what they had just seen Jesus do. They were to be medical missionaries themselves. He gave them power and sent them out two by two. Not only to preach and not only to heal, but they were to preach and to heal. They were not only followers, they were to be copiers or duplicators of Jesus. They were not only to admire what he did, they were to reproduce what he did. The twelve were first disciples, followers. Then they were apostles, that is, sent. They became uh, the goal of the, the disciples to be apostles. He sent them out. They didn't send themselves. He sent them out together. Now, him, he has, was sent himself. He was that runner at... Um, didn't have a message, but God wants his apostles to have a message. We can't preach without the message, and their message was the kingdom of God. Furthermore, they couldn't do medical missionary work without power. We must have more than human power. We can't heal without power. They had a message. They had power. They could be medical missionaries. They could preach the message, and they could heal the sick. You know, there are those who go as medical missionaries without a knowledge or familiarity with Jesus. There are others who are armed with head knowledge and facts, and they go out as medical missionaries without power. They may have a knowledge or familiarity with statistics, with health principles, but that's not sufficient. They may have funding, but that's not sufficient. We must have power. We should be satisfied with nothing else, nothing less. Acts 1.8 says, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It was this that made all the difference between success and failure in the book of Judges. When there was no Holy Spirit, there was only defeat. When there was Holy Spirit, there was only victory. Of Othniel, an early judge, it is written, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war, and the Lord delivered Jushran Rishatham, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed against this king. After years of defeat, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. You know the rest of the story. We're told that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. We're told it came mightily upon Samson. That could multiply the references. In the New Testament, the Spirit of the Lord rested upon John the Baptist from the mother's womb. It was this that gave him power. This is what all medical missionaries must have to make our influence felt in this secular age. What's the difference between the church before the latter rain and during the latter rain? Power. 
why does this power delay? Because it cannot be given until we have taken the first step and been with Jesus. We know Him and have received knowledge of Him. Then and only then can we receive the second step, power and be sent out as medical missionaries. The power will not be given without earnest prayer. Our angels have immediate access to God's presence. My wife and I are praying uh, every morning at four. We pray for our children and then we pray for the different ministries with which we're associated with. And um, we have angels who the highest joy they have is to get into the presence of God. And when they carry a prayer, they can cut through all the bureaucracy of heaven and get right into the presence of God. Immediate access. They can communicate directly with God. And they love it when we pray. Now, who is given the Holy Spirit? The Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that, what? Obey Him. What should we be fasting and praying about? To understand the Bible, to recognize our sins, and to have obedience, victory in our lives. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. We can't receive the Holy Spirit. Some months ago, as I was praying to the judge of the universe and I was praying uh, different requests, it was, it was almost as I suddenly saw myself in a... I mean, it was, you know, an imagination. It just uh, happened. Uh, I saw myself before a courtroom. I remembered back to some of the court testimony that I've given in the past. And I saw a judge. In this time, it was as if I could hear God ringing the uh, gavel down. Request granted. Request granted. After each request. And I suddenly realized, why am I asking for so little? His resources are limitless. He likes me to ask. He loves to answer prayer. Like the joy that a parent gives in providing for the needs of an infant, this gives God the joy of providing for my needs. Human kings only demonstrated a little of God's being king. The citizens in a kingdom provide the wealth and honor to the earthly king. But the divine king, it's different. He provides the wealth and honor to the citizens. The parent is the more fitting representative of Jesus. From the family resources, the parent provides for the needs and wants of the child. So the heavenly father from his riches provides for our needs and wants. God is looking for those through whom he can display his wealth. Step one of medical missionary training is imitate intimate knowledge of Jesus from time spent with him. But step two of medical missionary training is imparting to others what we have learned of Jesus. Now let's look at step three. Luke 10, 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them out two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. In verse 9, and he told them, Heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come down unto you. Step number three, God multiplied the medical missionaries. 
They had learned how Christ did it by observing his example. They learned by doing what they had seen him do. They solidified their learning by assisting in the training of others. This is how God will train his final medical missionaries. Step one is where I am right now, or at least I desire to be, following Jesus, learning of him. It's not yet time for dramatic miracles and healings. We are in the John the Baptist time. He did no miracles, but whatever he said about Jesus was true. How did John know Jesus? They'd never spent time together. John knew Jesus by studying Jesus' word. John studied the Bible. He studied the prophecies. And this gave him knowledge of Jesus. And this is how I can spend time with Jesus today. But only as I take this step will I be ready for step two and receive power for medical missions. He will send me out when I know him well enough to reflect him properly. Is this your desire this morning? Do you want to be able to present the one who is altogether lovely and in all his beauty? Do you want his wisdom to know when to speak and when to be silent? To know what to say and what not to say? What is the connection between medical and evangelism? You're the connection. You're the connection. It's not another program. It is Jesus shining through you, in your voice, in your inner joy, peeking through your face. You grasp the hand of Jesus and you grasp the hand of the one you minister to. And you bring those hands together. That is what health outreach needs and only you can provide. Do you want to say, take me, Lord, as wholly yours so I can be used in your service? Is that your commitment? Will you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we, uh, we have a uh, limited idea of Jesus, but we want to know him more. We want to be able to hear his tone of voice as we listen to his word. We want to be able to see the expression on his face as we read His Word. Lord, heal our imagination so that we can see Jesus. Heal us that we can be instruments of healing to others. We thank You for this group and their commitment. And we just commit our lives to You. In Christ's name, Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.